being overly critical, standing in God's seat as judge, is something that is completely different than making the judgments that we are called to make before Almighty God. Welcome to this episode of That They Might Know, a podcast dedicated to the proposition, This is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So the purpose for this podcast is that men might know Jesus Christ. That is an intimate, saving way. Christianity is not a creed. It's not something you just hold in your head and that's the end of it. It's a person. It's a relationship with a person. And so to that end, we dedicate this show. And now for today's episode. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy word. We acknowledge that there's no written word on the planet that's inspired by God except for the Bible. We recognize that all of our wisdom and our understanding and our intelligence pale into insignificance compared to the one who wrote this book. We thank you, our Lord, for using men, inspiring them, and bringing forth truth on the planet. Perfect, uncensored, unchanged truth as it can only be found in your word. Let us allow, allow us now to understand this word according to the truth, according to what is, it has been meant to say. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, listeners, for turning in to episode number two, The Roman Revelation. And what is the revelation of Romans? Well, Paul goes into it in chapter 1 and verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel or the good news, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek in verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. There it is revealing the revelation of God, the revelation through the gospel. There are certain elements that Paul speaks about throughout the whole letter, and they all are based on a foundation of theology. So following and beginning in chapter 12 on to the end of the letter is very practical applications of the foundation laid of theological truth. And it all stems out of these verses 16 and 17 where he's declaiming, claiming that the gospel, which he's not ashamed of, the good news is that it is the power of God, the gospel, the good news is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So here's the elements. The elements is the power of God, belief, the righteousness of God from faith to faith. So there's belief and there's faith, which both couch this whole idea of the power of God for salvation. Now, it's not the power of men. And men get off very easily here by focusing on belief as if belief is something that comes from men. And salvation, the cross, the work of Christ, is the power of God. Now, that's an unnecessary and incorrect dichotomy 
uh, to breaking down God's side, man's side. That's not, and it becomes clear in the in the future chapters that that is not what's being taught by Paul in this revelation of Romans. And what it is, it's all the power of God. If we're going to speak the truth of salvation, we're going to speak the truth as it focuses on God first, last, and always. Man is part of the equation, of course. Man is the one receiving salvation. One is the, man is the one being saved. But we're going to leave it for future chapters. I just want to lay it up here that the power of God includes man's belief. Yeah, I'm not going to say that man is just a pawn, moved around. There is human responsibility. And I can't decipher that exactly just to understand and want my hearers to know that God is first and foremost. God is eternal, not man. God created men, not the other way around. Man is made in the image of God. God is not to be made in man's image, in man's own mind. Let's get all of that straight first, and then we can see the truth. So after laying down this two wonderful verses, that Paul is not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone. Everyone needs it, and it is to everyone. Who believe? For in it the gospel, the righteousness of God, that God is right in what he's done. Whether it's letting man fall in the garden into sin, while it's, while it's having a permissive will to allow sin to exist on the earth, which brings all kinds of questions. Why is the world like this? And what kind of a God is it? And, God, and Paul is dealing with that right here in this beautiful little letter of Romans. Because in this gospel, in the declaring, in this nutshell of a, of a letter, nutshell of the entire Bible, there is this revealing of the righteousness of God. And it is revealed from faith to faith. It begins with faith. It ends with faith. And the faith is taking God at his word. So the question comes right now, right at the outset of the book, is are we going to take what God says here as true? And it's very difficult because he goes right in there, and it's difficult for sinful men, because he goes right in for the wrath of God in verse 18 is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. We, we, we push it down, stick it in the back of the drawer, hide it in the back of our hearts, make uh, as if we, it doesn't exist. It does exist. And Paul just declares it and lays it out all in the open. And as he concludes, works his way through chapter 1, he shows how man is guilty before God by manner of reason. He's able to reason. He knows the truth. He's able to understand that where there is a creation, there is a creator. And by this, man is guilty. And I talked about this in some detail in the last episode. I want to move on in this episode, chapter 2. We find that man is found guilty before the court of God by reason of his conscience. Man has a guilty Conscience, we read in verse 1, Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. Wow. 
Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. Now, who doesn't pass judgment? Now, I know some of us have a, a desire to not become critical. But you, you can't cross the street without making a judgment. Should I go or shouldn't I go? It's so part of what we are. Thousands, probably, not hundreds, maybe, of decisions every single day with regards to every part of our life, to assume that we don't make judgments on right and wrong, that we don't make judgments on other people is kind of ludicrous. It's really, really kind of ridiculous. It's, it's part of, our, of what we have to do to exist. Now, being overly critical, standing in God's seat as judge, is something that is completely different than making the judgments that we are called to make before Almighty God. We are called to make certain judgments. We are forbidden to make others. I mean, to Paul, when writing to the, the Corinthians, says a very little thing of a five, I'm judged of you. Uh, I judge no man. I don't, I don't even judge myself. He who judges me is the Lord. And so that approach is the Christian approach, one of not judging as one sitting in the seat of God. Only God knows the hearts of men. We can, we can hear men's words, we can make assessments as to what kind of fruit is coming out of their life, by their behavior, by their words, but we cannot ever judge the motives of people's hearts. But we are judged ourselves in that when we make judgments in the improper way about others, and not only that, in any judgment that we make, even a good judgment. Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. How do we condemn ourselves? We know right from wrong. I mean, this is a simple postulation he's making here. It's not complicated. doesn't need to be. It's just you made a judgment, so that means you know the difference. You, you know where, where error is. Now, he goes on and says in verse 1, For you who judge, practice the same things. You practice the same. If we were perfect, if we did not sin at all, we could make judgments and, well, everything would be okay. That's the way it will be in eternity and for those in glory in heaven. But for those here on earth who practice judgments and then say, no, I'm innocent, I'm okay, I don't do anything wrong, well, verse 2, and we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. So therefore, you judge another person. God's, God's judgment is, see, the whole purpose behind the book is, is to show that in the gospel, God is righteous. That God does the right thing. He, he does the right thing when he judges people. He does the right thing all the time in every way. In verse 3, verse 2, verse 3, I'm sorry, but do, do you suppose this, O oh man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? I mean, he's, he's asking a, a rhetorical question here in the, which the only can have one answer. You suppose that you're going to pass judgment on somebody else, you're going to show right from wrong, and then you're going to do the wrong, and you're going to escape judgment? The answer is no. I mean, I don't want to be harsh or, you know, overly hard. I'm, a, I'm just a man. I'm just a person. I'm just explaining here 
what God is saying. And what God is saying is no one escapes judgment because men judge. They make judgments. They show by reason of their conscience that they know right from wrong. Verse 4, do you, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, that not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Now, in this reason, the being indicted by, by guilt, by reason of our conscience, God permits life to go on. He doesn't hand down judgment right away when someone does something wrong, ever. God is a God of grace and mercy and kindness. The, the point, he's, point he's, the, he's making here in verse 4, I mean, are we making light? Uh, do we take for granted the riches of God and his patience? Because over the course of our life, we continue to make judgments. We continue to, the people who, who never repent of sin, who never recognize the condition of their own evil heart, uh, 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 are these people not taking for granted throughout the course of their entire life all the patience that God has showed, which is one of the things that's going to make judgment so hard in that day, which what I'm offering here, what Paul is offering here, what God is offering through Paul is judgment now. Face the judgment now, accept what God says here is true, and you'll find repentance in your heart, and you'll find complete and total forgiveness and mercy and grace from God. And it's all washed away. I mean, this is where all these doctrines, this doctrine of the depravity of man, of man's wickedness, his, his evil condition, this is all leads to the cross, where the sins, the penalty of the sins were washed away through the sufferings and death that Christ faced on the cross. I mean, this is the, the lovely part of the gospel. Men just want the good part. Why, don't, why do they just want the good part? Because no one wants to look in the mirror and see ourselves for what we are. And when men preach, when men teach from the Word of God and explain exactly what this means, it's, it's hard, it's harsh. Why? Because pride gets pricked and men don't feel right about think, looking at themselves as anything less than perfect. Or, you know, we all sin, but we're not bad enough to go to hell. But that's not what the Word says. In verse 5, he goes on and says, But because of your stubbornness, now there's, that's a bad word, and rep unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. It's like making a chain with many links. And the chain gets bigger and bigger and greater and greater. You know the Christmas carol? Everyone knows that story of Scrooge and he's visited by his partner. And in this picture, there's this big chain he's carrying that he forged throughout the whole of his life. That's all this is saying right here. I mean, this is what he depicted in that, in that wonderful story. In verse 6, Paul goes on and says, Who will render to each person according to his deeds? To those who by perseverance and doing seek good, seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. There's a, there's a difference. There's two different people, two types of people. The person who's 
the repentant and the person who's unrepentant. Now, this is not saying, in quick reading of uh, verses 5 and 6 and 7, will bear bad fruit in the person who looks at this as if men were just in the flesh, as, if, as though the grace of God did not have to reach down and touch a person and transform them so that they could exercise godly faith. If, if a sinner in and of himself could repent, that would be marvelous, but that's not possible because that's not the definition of sin. The definition of sin is someone who's hardened, who's deceived, who's blind, who can't see who he is. And as a result of that, he continues to get increasingly harder. So how does such a person turn? How does such a person accept and understand? Well, the Bible goes on to show this in Romans uh, 4 and 5, but particularly 6 through 8. And we're going to look at that in the future. How God reaches in and changes and, and turns a person through, not, not to mention the rest of the New Testament. But in this point, in this section right here, he's, he's, he's saying God is righteous and he will render each according to his deeds. Not that some have good deeds and some have bad. All are, because he's going to go on in the next chapter very shortly and show that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All deserving punishment. The wages of sin is death. Who doesn't die? Every person dies, showing that every person is worthy to die and face the judgment that comes after that. But then in verse 7, he says, To those who, by perseverance and doing good, seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Now, that's the state of a person having been saved, having been converted, having entered into the door of salvation, which leads to a life of change and transformation. And that's what we refer to by the word sanctification. However, in verse 8, it shows those who never enter in through that door. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. Now that there is where God is speaking about people who never enter into the door by the grace of God, who never enter into salvation, who never get saved, who never acknowledge the Messiah as Jesus Christ, who never see their way into salvation, into becoming a child of God, passing from death to life. How does a dead man get up and walk? It doesn't happen. It takes a miracle. And the miracle is what we call salvation. If there is one thing that every man, every person needs to be keenly aware of is that there are two completely different ends to every man. He says this in chapter 2 and in verse 9. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. And then in verse 10 but glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good. And he makes no distinction because he says to, of, the, of the Jew first and also to the Greek, in both verses, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There's only two types of people in the world as we understand it in Scripture. The Jew, the one called of God, and the Gentile, all, all other nations. 
And when you break it down, there's Israel, okay, and there's Gentile nations, but there's also called of God and not called of God, saved and unsaved, believing and unbelieving, saved and lost. These two categories carry through all through the scriptures, and they're relevant. They're relevant thousands of years ago, and they're relevant today. Nothing's changed. Tribulation and glory, distress and honor. For there is no partiality with God. Now, that's huge in verse 11. Why? Because among men, that's all there is, is partiality. Because of pride, we're always making our group, our culture, our nation, our religion, our sect, all of them the best, and everyone else's second best, and we're the best. And that's just pride speaking. Before God, all men are lost. And there's no partiality with God. Anyone can be saved out of any nation. Understanding that God is the judge and not we ourselves. We don't judge ourselves. On Judgment Day, we're not going to say, uh, God, uh, let me explain to you who I am. Uh, that's not the way it's going to work. God's going to say, let me explain to you who you are. Big difference between those two. Verse 12, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. So in other words, if the mind hasn't been properly educated to understand what God demands, if a person is without that law, he will perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law, got all of that clarity in mind of what God demands, will be judged by the law. So in the Old Testament, you have thou shalt not murder. In the New Testament, you have the Lord Jesus Christ saying, if you have evil thoughts, angry thoughts in your mind, your intention is angry towards another person, it's the same as murder. So the Old Testament is very superficial outward, saying the same exact thing, putting the law of God forefront, and then in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ giving much meaning behind that law. And so there's degrees and levels of light that men receive. There's law and there's deeper law. There's no law. In either case, a man is, will perish. So verse 13, for it is not the hearers of the law. This is big. It is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. What's he saying? He's saying there that many, many a person will go to hell from the pew. Many will go to hell from the seminary. Many will go to hell from the halls of education where they learned creeds and doctrines and theology. And they came to a, a complete understanding, a vast understanding of God's revelation. Well, how can I say that? It says it in verse 13. I'm not making this stuff up. Romans chapter 1 and verse 13. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers. What's that mean? Is it a matter of works? That's not what's being said. Not by a long shot. For when Gentiles, in verse 14, who do not have the law, do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alter accusing or else defending them. See what's going on here. 
Don't miss the point here. It's very clear. He goes right back to the beginning of the chapter where he's talking about in verse chapter 2 and verse 1 that man has a conscience. He knows right from wrong. He judges. He even lives to some degree righteously. We're not like demons that are just evil completely. We're talking about man who has a, a morality about him. He's deceived in a great many ways. He's blinded. The God of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And in that blindness and deception, he fails to recognize the depths of his own evil heart. And in that deception, he still has a a sense of morality and he does good and there's judgments. So that's why he says these things in verse 13 and following. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers. For when the Gentiles, people outside of the law, just haven't gotten the clarity of what God's desiring, when those who do not have the law do instinctively, like an animal, it's just in placed in there by God because we've been made in the image of God. So we proceed according to that image until it displeases us, until we don't we want to do what we want to do. But instinctively, we do the things of the law, not to pleasing God. No, not, not, not to the way that God's going to stand in judgment and say, wow, well done, good and faithful servant. No, no. Do instinctively the things of the law. These have the law are a law to themselves. That law to themselves means they're guilty. They know better. We all know better in our mind and in our heart, in our conscience, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience bearing witness in their thoughts, alternately what? Accusing or else defending. So the conscience is saying, you shouldn't be do that. Uh, but then we defend ourselves. So, well, but, but we got these reasons. And that's the sin nature that takes something written in the heart, in the soul, in the conscience of man, made in the image of God, and then distorts it for his own selfish, lustful purposes to evil and worse to damnation. Hear this. Do not miss this point. If you don't, if you've missed everything, don't miss this. There are moral people, religious people all over the world. Some of them are atheists, but they're very moral because the conscience is driving us to be that way. But at the end of the day, this is what gets us. The accusing or else the defending or both. The thoughts alternatingly they alternate back and forth. Oh, I'm, uh, that's wrong. Uh, uh, but wait, uh, let, me, let me fix this in my own mind so that I can do what I want to do. M- multitude of things that we could come up to justify ourselves. You know, my, my parents made me do it. The culture has been a bad influence. You know, my wife just ticked me off this morning. I got angry and I started cursing. You know, my husband, he's always pushing and he's always and on and on. The accusations go to what? To excuse ourselves. To get out from underneath the condemnation of the law so that we can justify our behavior. And so I want to kind of bring this to a a conclusion. There's so much that can be said here. I just, I love to go on, go on, but I don't want to make this too, well, no such thing as, well, there is. Okay, we're talking to ourselves here. Uh, I apologize. So in the conclusion of the, at the end of today's lesson, let us understand 
that if we are a Jew in the sense that we sit under the law of God, or we are not a Jew and we haven't even heard the law of God, there is this matter of conscience that condemns us and makes us guilty before Almighty God. If there's anyone out there right now who's listening to this, and you haven't really reconciled in your own head just how guilty you are as a sinner. These opening, ap- uh, these opening chapters of Romans just pound away at guilt. But as they go on, they get very, turns the whole matter of guilt into purification through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That herein the love of God is manifest that God gave himself. He left heaven's glory, the Son leaving the Father, becoming a man, identifying with men, being born to a virgin, living out a completely holy and perfect life, tempted in all points as we are, yet without any sin whatsoever. So that when he took the price for our sins on the cross, found guilty before the Father. Horrible scenario right there. A perfect, holy God who just is revolting. It's revolting to even think about sin. Become sin for those to whom, for whom he died. In that picture, in that reality to God, he carries away all these sins and a man's conscience can be made perfectly clear, having been forgiven and that is the power of God. And it's obtained through a God-given faith. You have that faith today? If you don't have that faith, pray that you receive that faith. Pray that this truth that's being spoken, even now, becomes the reality truth to you personally. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for the truth that makes us more accountable, but also welcomes us into the kingdom of God for those who believe and trust what this word says. Lord, if there are those people listening to this and hearing about the truth and something is touching their heart, Lord, I pray that such people would continue to read the Bible, be convicted of these truths to the saving of the soul. Lord, we know there's no other name given under heaven among men whereby men must be saved. It's only through Jesus. So open the hearts of the hearers. And for those who understand the gospel, who have come into the kingdom, I pray that this lesson would continue to help them to grow in the truth and the knowledge and the wisdom of Almighty God in the person of Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.